Good evening. Today we're going to talk about something that is extremely important in our faith, and that is the transfiguration. I want to approach it from a little bit of a different perspective uh, this evening. We just heard it, obviously, read out in our gospel. And so what you see is you see the three that Jesus has been pouring into, these three leaders in uh, what would eventually become the church, right? The three leaders of the church, kind of cornerstone men. He brought them up to the mountain so that they could see him revealed in his glory. And not only that, but there's a really interesting point that we're not going to get into tonight, but he makes it clear that he is the authority over Moses and Elijah. And so there's something that he's doing here when he's bringing him up there. And the fascinating thing is they talked about the deceased that Jesus was going to accomplish in Jerusalem. And this was like an experience for Peter, James, and John, so that when Jesus is up on a cross and everything feels like lost, they can remember the transfiguration and know and have faith and believe and hold steadfast for when he's going to be resurrected to know who Jesus really is through that difficult time. And what's interesting here, and the point I want to make just as we start, is that there's this phrase that goes around. It's like, seeing is believing. And it's like, no, nah, not really, right? Because you can see things that are optical illusions. We often disbelieve what we see on television nowadays. You know, there's not really a Tyrannosaurus Rex that's been re resurrected from DNA samples found in amber living on a island somewhere killing people, right? We know that that's not really happening. And so that phrase has kind of fallen out of popularity because it's not our experience in our life. But I want to argue that the way that the scriptures we're going to talk about tonight talk about seeing is not the way that we typically use the word casually, right? I see all of you, but kind of like when you see in scripture, there's that word that they use throughout the Old Testament. And then Abraham knew his wife and she conceived and bore a son. And it's like, I don't know any of you the way that Abraham knew his wife. There's a different word that's being used there, right? It means more than what is there on the surface. And so in the same way, to see is to believe. That's sort of true. There's a way in which when somebody explains something to you and it finally clicks, you might say, I see, right? And you don't mean like, oh, I see visually. You mean you actually understand, you've comprehended, taken in the idea. And that's part of what's happening in the transfiguration is they're seeing Jesus in a way that they haven't seen him before. Now, what's fascinating when you read the story and its context and the scriptures that we were selected for the lectionary that surround this, we talk about Moses, right? We talk about when he went up into the cloud and he saw, he communed in the glory of God. And there's something really fascinating there. And so to back up a little bit before that, what happened when Adam and Eve were in the garden? They're walking in the cool of the garden with God. And they're seeing him in a way that we can't quite imagine at this point. Because when they rejected God's plan for eternal fellowship and communion with us, to empower us as stewards of creation and to walk in partnership in that way, he, he wanted to draw us into that. We rejected that in favor of us having our own way, basically, right? But what happened is, because of that, our vision 
was distorted from the fall. Ever since then, we've looked at the world with some blinders on or, or blind spots, however you want to talk about it. Our vision of the world is distorted. It's not the way that God sees it. Now, we all know that there's a deeper reality to what we do in the world, that there's a spirit realm, that God exists, that there's a kingdom that Jesus inaugurated that is unfolding. But when we look around, we don't see it often. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The Bible is a story about people seeking to know God, wanting to see God. That's the cry throughout the Old Testament is let me see your face. When Moses asked that, God says, no, you aren't able to see my face. And he only gets to see his back. And some of what comes out of Moses' meeting with God, when God gives him the Ten Commandments, that's like a low resolution view of who God is and what God's all about. It's important. It's fundamental. We learn that God is a God of order and that the system works and he gives us tools through the Ten Commandments. He gives us tools to live a life that is full of as much flourishing and fellowship with him as possible. But we know because of the story happens again and again and again, no matter how many laws are revealed in the Old Testament, we never are able to live up to it. Humanity never earns their way back into God's fellowship. As many times as he reaches out and redeems and rescues us, we continually then turn away from him. It's kind of like if I were to put a poster in my house that listed every rule very specifically and articulately and then told my two and a half year old Rowan, okay, obey those rules. He's just not able to do it. I'm sure he would do some of them well. He's a very smart kid, but he would also look for the loopholes. And he would also try and bend them. And he would also do those things that he knows are wrong because there's rebellion in him from the fall. We all have that in us. There's something coloring his perception. In fact, that's a good illustration of how our vision is distorted. It's like if his vision was clear, now, of course, his, his mental capacity is still growing. But let's use this as an analogy. If his vision was clear, he wouldn't reach his hand up to grab the boiling pot of water, even though his dad just told him not to. You're going to hurt yourself. But his vision is distorted by his own rebellion and his will. And he doesn't realize that listening to his father in this case is a very good idea. And then he might get mad if I punish him in that moment to keep him from far greater harm. Resonates with us as we think about how we, how we interact with God how he brings correction, but we have these blinders. And so we often jump into things knowing that it's not what God wants for us or our favorite trick, not even asking and just ignoring what God might be wanting to do in our life. So all of history is about these people seeking to see God. And there's these touchstone moments where God reveals himself. One of them is Moses on the mountain. And it's a glorious moment, and he brings us the law. And we have a path now to try and walk with God. And like I said, we fall short. But when we come to Jesus, there's almost the same path that we get to live out in our own life as this path we see in the, in, in the Bible, where we come to Jesus, and his first call to us is not just to acknowledge our sin and our need for him, but then to submit our will to him. Sometimes I think we water down the call of Christ 
to, okay, you need to accept him as your Lord and Savior, say this prayer, and you're good. It's like, no, the point of it is that you need to accept him as your Savior, but also as your Lord. And so you're submitting to a different kingdom. Because you know what Adam did when he rejected God's rule for his own will? What Eve did when she rejected God's rule for her own will? We gave our power and authority that we were following you know, under God's authority, we gave it to the enemy. That's why we're slaves to sin. That's why we have these blinders. And so the call of Jesus is submit yourself again to my authority, to God's authority, that I may empower you, right? That I may set you free. So the first thing we learn, and that's why Jesus says, unless you become like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. The first thing we learn is that we don't bring anything to that equation of salvation. We submit to his will. And then he can build us up and use us mightily. But first we must become like a child. And oftentimes, again and again, as we go on this journey, obedience precedes understanding. Like Rowan with the hot pot. He needs to know to obey before he understands how terrible it would be to touch a hot pot, right? The next step as we go along here, right? Moses receives the law. He goes into the presence of God, but it's a limited view of who God is. It's not full. It's not sufficient. The next step as God reveals himself to the people of Israel and the prophets is he starts speaking to them of the new covenant, right? From Abraham, we learn that God's a covenantal God. We saw the first covenant, but there's a new covenant that the prophets start talking about. And it's quoted by the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. So there's a transformation that's envisioned where it's not about following a set of rules to get to God. But there's going to be a time where our hearts are so transformed that those laws are actually written on our hearts. It's amazing poetic language. And we now know that the fulfillment of that is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that transforms us and guides us throughout our journey after we have received God or Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So first we submit to the rules, but as we do that, we begin to be transformed into people who think and believe and act like Jesus. That's the path we're going on as our eyes are opened to who he is, as we begin to see. So what does this have to do with the transfiguration? As I said, there's these touchstone moments throughout scripture where people get revelations of who God is and what he's leading us to. And ultimately, the highest point of revelation of who God is comes in the form of Jesus Christ. As John says in his gospel, chapter 1, starting in verse 14, And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And if you know the disciples, he's like, we have all. It's like, you watch their story as they interact with Jesus. It's like, they fall and they mess up again and again and again just like us, and yet they continue to receive grace upon grace, which is not only forgiveness, but empowerment to do better. Grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses, like we were talking about in our Old Testament, but grace and truth 
came through Jesus Christ. And then he says, he's like explaining, and it's amazing how they write. It's like they were geniuses, but they weren't, right? They were fishermen, and they were normal, everyday people. But God, through the Holy Spirit, crafted these words in them as he teaches us. The law indeed was given through Moses, grace and truth, through Jesus Christ. And he continues to explain, no one has ever seen God. Well, Moses saw his back. But he's like, no, in comparison with the law, no one has seen God because Jesus is so much greater, right? It is God, the only son who is close to the father's heart, who has made him known. And now everything that came before has to be interpreted through the light of what Jesus revealed about the father's heart. Because if you read the Old Testament, uh, the, the language used in the New Testament is if you read it with a veiled face, like the Jews of the time who didn't know about Jesus, you can come away with some wrong conclusions about who God is. A simple one is you might think of God as this wrathful judge who's out to make sure that you walk a narrow path. Otherwise, he's going to get you. Now, of course, there's more nuance in the Old Testament than that. But I know growing up, it was easy for me to think that way. It was easy for me to adopt that because of these blinders that we come into the world with, right? Because of our fallen nature, not because the people teaching me the Bible were so bad at it. My whole point, though, is we need to be able to see God. And Jesus has made him known, as John is talking about here. And on top of that, Jesus talks about what's happening here, right? You can see what I'm talking about. Is people are seeking God, and then God comes in the flesh. Nobody thought that was going to happen. But Jesus says about this, right? For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people have longed to see what you see and did not see it, hear it, see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it, right? He's not talking about seeing a man wearing a robe and sandals with a long beard. He's talking about seeing God in the flesh, seeing the manifestation of the redemptive power of God come to earth. I think we often, because we've been around Christianity for so long, we think that if we know, we know this much about Christianity, right? When there's this much to know, but we're pretty satisfied with the part that we know. Like, I know what it means to be a Christian. And I know what it means to live like a Christian. And I know who Jesus is. But there's so much more. There are generations of people who sought God's face. And they didn't even know who Jesus was. And we have so much abundance of access to God by the work and the power of Jesus and who, how he reveals God. And then the Holy Spirit who's been given to us, who can open up the scriptures to us. And yet we often are so complacent with the idea that we know what Christianity is about. And we fulfill our duty and we move on and we forget to seek his face. That's what's so great about worship music is it reminds us, especially good songs with good lyrics like we're singing tonight, it reminds us that this is the thing that we're seeking. We're seeking God's face. We're, we're, we're looking for breakthrough in the power of the name of Jesus. We want to open our eyes. This event, the transfiguration in particular, is that mountaintop moment that all of scripture before is leading up to, right? It's the unveiling of the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, what does that have to do with you and me today? It has to know with the fact that we are called to know Christ. And we're going to read this scripture here from 
2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now the Spirit, now the Lord is Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is Spirit. Now there's an interesting tie here, and we're going to read a couple other scriptures that express this, but it's like seeing Jesus is being like Jesus. And not seeing Jesus like I see a picture of Jesus on the cross, but seeing Jesus like we were talking about earlier, that comprehension, that understanding, that knowing of who he is, that deep relational knowledge of who he is, transforms you into becoming like him. It's kind of like we're told in scripture, the relationship between a man and a woman in marriage. I know Haley pretty well. We've been together, or I've known her of her existence for 10 years. We've been together for close to eight, and we just celebrated our five-year wedding anniversary, right? I know her probably better than anybody else in her life in a lot of ways. And yet there's still decades of knowledge that I will know as she grows in time, and as I grow in time, and as we get to know each other. And let me tell you, she is very aware of the fact that I don't know her fully. In fact, there are times where she says things, I misinterpret them, and she cannot believe her ears as I respond to her. She's like, I didn't mean it that way. I thought you knew me better. Don't you know me better than that? I think half our arguments are about misunderstanding still. Because humans are infinitely complex. We're eternal beings who are progressing through time, who are growing and changing. And we need to put in the effort to know her. If I just stopped talking to her like I know enough and just came home and like, hey, you know, let's do dinner plans or let's do this and that and the other thing. But I never took the time to get to know her or I didn't even talk to her. Then very quickly that relationship would go from I know her really well to I don't know her at all. And yet that's often how we treat Jesus. I accepted him as my Lord and Savior. I know who he is. I don't need to do anything else to seek the knowledge of him. Think of the rift that causes when we go weeks or months without truly acknowledging who Jesus is in our life. And I say all that because that's, I've done it. I've been there. And there's something that happens when you get caught up in the day-to-day that you forget to look for his face. You forget to take any time to seek him, to pray, to call out, to read the scriptures, to find him. And what happens in marriage oftentimes, and people often laugh about it, is become, you become more like the person that you're with. And in the same way, as you pursue Christ, the goal is, as you get to know him, you become more like him. As Pope John Paul II put it, Jesus is the human face of God and the divine face of man. There's something important there about the transfiguration. We're re- it reveals who we have been called to be. And it also reveals who God is. And that's amazing. That's the promise. It's really esoteric and odd if you just state it plainly. But there's something in every one of us that is formed to be the image of who Jesus is. Now, obviously, you don't have to be a male like Jesus was or is. You don't have to talk the same language that he talked, but you have to be like him. And I think we all get that to some degree, right? In Corinthians, it says, love is patient, kind, long-suffering. That's a pretty good list of what it means to be like Jesus. There's places all throughout scripture that we can look for that. And this is true humanity. That's what we're told. 
Like that was what we were made for. Like, can you imagine Jesus walked the earth for, he was in active ministry for three years. And now there's billions of people who are transformed by his power and his continued activity today and the history. And we have four books about him. And those scriptures have changed lives every day, thousands and millions and billions of lives. That's part of what we're called to do. We're called to live like that so that we can impact the world for Christ, so that we can be the image of Christ in the world, so that we can be the pathway to know who he is. And I'll tell one more story, and then we'll wrap up here as we think about becoming like Jesus. I think I skipped a scripture. Okay, I've got to read this one because this one gets me every time. The promise stated plainly right here in 1 John 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. Remember, we become like a child as we come into the, the promise and salvation of God. And what will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. That is a powerful promise. Another scripture, it says, we see now in a mirror dimly, like we get this much of it. It's an optical illusion right now. We still have those blinders. And God is constantly ripping those things off so that we can see him deeper as we pursue him. I can see it in my own life. There's things now that I wouldn't even think of doing because God's transformed me. He's written the law in my heart where it's no longer appealing to me. It's not about following rules. It's about becoming like him so that the rules are a part of who we are. So that when somebody's in need, you reach out because your spirit reaches out to them because you've been transformed. So that when a temptation arises, you it's not tempting anymore because you've been transformed. We don't finish the journey on earth. He promises there that someday we will stand before him, we will see him, and we will realize that we are like him because we've been transformed by that revelation. The equation goes something like this. Jesus is the perfect image of the Father, and we are being transformed into the perfect image of Jesus. Not wiped out in our individuality. Jesus is individual, separate from the Father, but fully who we are as representatives of him. True humanity. So I was talking to this uh, gentleman in Beverly who went to our church out there. That's back north of Boston. And he had been a drug and alcohol addict for many years. Hadn't spent any time in the church. And he was at rock bottom where he finally, he fell asleep in a gutter. He got arrested, thrown into jail. And the day before that happened, somebody, he doesn't know who, said, Jesus loves you. And so in that moment, in the jail cell, he thinks of that thing. Jesus loves a guy who's, you know, burned all his bridges with his family. He has no friends. It's a terrible thing that he went through. And so he didn't feel loved by anybody. But he knew enough to know that Jesus is not like, you know, a guy down the street. But Jesus is, he's, because he grew up here, he knows, like, you call out to Jesus in prayer. So he knew kind of some of that. And so he calls out and he said, Jesus, if you love me, then save me. And in the moment, he feels the presence of God. And he gets out of prison through some miraculous happenings that I'm not going to jump into. But he gets out of prison and he goes to a church and he looks for a way. In fact, actually, he meets a Christian in prison, in prison that helps him as well. But he gets out of prison and he, and he, um, he goes and he pursues and he learns who Jesus is. He submits himself to the lordship of Christ. 
he submits himself and he doesn't pick up alcohol or drugs again. And he goes through the pain and the process and he works it all out. And now he can look back and he can say, yeah, but you know what? It wasn't like following Jesus and obeying those rules. That wasn't like picking up a burden. It was like chains falling off. And yet we get so confused with our blinders in this life where we, we know that's true because I know those times where I've been you know, tempted in, you know, in anger or cruelty or whatever. And when God sets you free from that, you, you feel more who you are. I haven't had drug and alcohol addiction like this guy had, but it's a clear picture. It's like he was not who he was truly was when he was in that state. And God ripped those things off of him as he submitted himself to him. His heart was transformed. And now he's a missionary to uh, Jews in Israel trying to bring them to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because he was set free, he was able to become who he was. And so there are places in our life that I still run into places where God asked me to trust them or God asked me to do this. Or I know that I treat somebody in a way that I shouldn't because I react in anger or fear or envy. And it's like God wants to set you free. He doesn't want to burden you with a list of rules. He wants to set you free. And it'll look a lot like following the rules when you're done with it, right? Because your heart will be transformed and that will be your desire. So when you hear things like this one thing I ask to dwell within your house every day of my life. As a child, you're forced to go to church. You're dragged to church. You're told to go to church. But man, maturity is that path. As you get to know who Jesus is, that becomes your heart. This one thing I ask to dwell within your house every day of my life. That's the journey we're on. And as we see God, we will be like God. And the call to us tonight is the first thing we read in Exodus, where God calls to Moses. And it used to be just the one leader, the one really cool guy that God had set apart. Now it's all of us by the grace of Jesus Christ. This is the call. Come up to me on the mountain and be there. It doesn't have to be a physical mountain, obviously. But God is calling to us, come to me. All you are thirsty, come and drink. Taste and see. Come to the waters. Look for God's face. Don't become complacent. Let's end with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, I just thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to dive into the revelation that you've given us in your word, the revealed glory of God in Jesus. I thank you that you're like Jesus and Jesus is like you and there's no difference and that we can trust the heart of God as revealed in Jesus. And I just pray that you would transform our hearts as we go throughout our days that we wouldn't get caught in the rut or distracted or tempted away from the promises and the call of God. You have a call on our life to pursue you and to become like you. And we want to do that, Lord. So I just pray that you would affect each and every one of our hearts, that you would break off chains tonight, and that you would lead us closer every day to being like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.